Hello, my name's Gary and this is episode 34 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. Today's show is called The FUD Episode, Fear, Uncertainty and Doubt, and it's subtitled They're Banning Fossil Fuel Cars in the UK from 2035. Uh, once again this week, it's just me. Simon is off getting his andirons cleaned. Uh, before we get started, I have an update on something we mentioned in a previous episode. In episode 30, the apps, we talked about ZapMap. In that episode, we mentioned a few items in our cons column for ZapMap where we thought they could improve. Since then, they've released a new version of their iOS app and Melanie from ZapMap reached out to me to bring me up to date with a few behind the scenes things that might be of use. Hi Melanie, thanks for listening. The new version of ZapMap has had something of an overhaul in the functionality and addresses several of the cons we highlighted in our podcast. You now have a better view of ratings for charges using a star system. The gallery of photos is gathered in one place. The access to filters is quicker and easier. And there's clearer live status reporting. At the moment, ZapMap is reporting live status for 60% of the charges in their coverage area, which is higher than any other similar software. They have designs created for Android Auto and Apple CarPlay integration, and the work just needs to be scheduled. They also took our feedback on board regarding the notifications process and the ability to have more than three routes on their route planners. Melanie did also share that they're working on functionality known as ZapPay, which is a cross-network payment layer that will simplify EV driving, presumably by allowing one app to be used to pay for charges at numerous charge point operators. This is planned for a rollout in the first half of this year. I was also reminded of a fabulous piece of functionality, which is a payment filter that allows you to specify only contactless charges, regardless of network. So if all you want is to pay contactless, this will certainly allow you to narrow down the search. And uh, that covers around 30% of the charges at present, and it will obviously increase as the government mandate kicks in. So well done, ZapMap. Our feature topic today is FUD fear, uncertainty and doubt. The UK government recently announced that they're bringing forward the deadline at which new fossil fuel cars will be banned from sale from 2040 to 2035. Uh, This seems to have set social media and indeed traditional media alight. The BBC website has numerous comments on the story. Radio stations have been doing phone-ins and Twitter, Facebook posts have been ripe with commenters throwing out lots and lots of positive and negative, but mostly negative comments. But here's the thing, the vast majority of the negative comments are based on fear, uncertainty and doubt rather than anything concrete. And what I want to do in today's episode is address a number of these comments and give you some facts about the actual situation. Hopefully then, if you're listening to this and wondering whether to buy an EV now or whether it's something you'll be forced into against your will, then you'll have a clearer, more balanced view of the situation. So let's start by reviewing what the government actually said. They said that a ban on selling new petrol, diesel or hybrid cars in the UK will be brought forward from 2040 to 2035 at the latest under government plans. That's it. It's been done for environmental reasons mainly, and I think it's a good thing. But let's look at what the government did not say. They did not say that fossil fuel cars would be banned from the roads in 2035. They did not say you wouldn't be able to buy or run a fossil fuel car after 2035. All they said is that you can't buy new, keyword new, petrol, diesel or hybrid cars in the UK after 2035. 
and this is a point that seems to be lost on a lot of people. If you want to continue buying and driving second-hand fossil fuel cars for another 10 years after that, there's a good chance this is still going to be possible. If you buy a brand new fossil fuel car a month before the ban comes into effect, you'll still be able to own and run that car without hindrance. If you already have a fossil fuel car, and you're planning on running it into the ground way past 2035, that's also fine. It's just purchasing of new fossil fuel cars after that date that's covered for the moment. So what are the main objections that people have towards this? Here are a list of a few of them and the reasons why they're not really issues. You'll find out there's quite a large amount of overlap with the myths and legends about EVs that formed the very first podcast that we ever did, and the link's in the show notes. Uh, just a quick note, when I talk about EVs in this episode, I'm referring to battery EVs and fuel cell EVs as hydrogen power is being allowed as a zero emission fuel. So the first one is, the grid won't be able to cope. With thousands of new cars wanting power to fuel their batteries, we'll need lots of new power stations and the grid will collapse under the strain. Well, that's not entirely accurate. The National Grid have gone on record numerous times and have repeated this since the announcement that this is fully within their forecast for power usage as we move forward. It is fair to say that there may be a number of local grid issues in certain spots where there needs to be work done to strengthen the infrastructure, but that's it. It's also worth remembering that the refining of fossil fuels themselves takes a huge amount of power. Once the demand for fossil fuel falls, the amount of power left for other things will rise. It's a zero-sum game, not a win-lose situation. The second one is, the charging infrastructure isn't ready. Well, actually, that's right. If we stop the sale of new fossil fuel cars today, the infrastructure isn't ready and wouldn't be able to cope but we have 15 years in which to ensure that we have enough fast and rapid chargers set up to handle the expected growth in EVs. As Tom Callow from BP Chargemaster tweeted a few days back, Seriously, I really don't understand why so many people assume there won't be charging infrastructure by 2030, 2040, 2045, 2050, or whenever, quite frankly. End quote. Remember, 10 years ago, there was one solitary rapid charger in the country, and that was at Mitsubishi UK headquarters, I believe. In the intervening 10 years, the number of public chargers has grown from a very small number to over 17,469 devices in 10,814 locations with 30,345 physical connectors. That's way in advance of the number of petrol stations there currently are. And these are just public charges. Remember, any three-pin plug can charge any EV. So what's the next one that comes up? What if I live in a terrace house with no home charger? And this is an often used comment meant to show that EV rollout won't work. Something like 20 to 40% of houses don't have adequate parking where a private charger can be installed. However, this figure is misleading because it doesn't indicate how many houses without parking actually have a vehicle that needs parking. In central London, for example, well, in the greater London area, there are thousands of houses without parking spaces, but that's because many of the people in those houses use public transport exclusively and they don't need parking places and they won't be buying an EV. So if we assume that the figures are slightly misleading in terms of the actual numbers, we can assume that there are people who live in housing without private parking, but who do have cars. So how are they supposed to deal with this? Well, I know it sounds quite glib, but it's worth remembering that 100% of houses in the UK at the moment 
don't have a private petrol station. That's never seemed to be an issue with car owners at the moment. I personally know several EV drivers who live in houses and don't have charging facilities, and they cope very well without it. Remember the model for EVs, the narrative that we discussed in last week's episode, is that you charge your car while you're doing other things. You don't make a specific trip to a charger and sit there and wait, although you can do that if you wish. You go shopping or to the cinema or for a meal and you leave your car on a charger while you're doing that. This doesn't need an in-house charger at all. So the next one that comes up is, they're expensive and I can't afford them. Well, this on the face of it seems to be the key ding that EVs have when you remove all the other objections. Once you convince people that charging isn't an issue, that the batteries won't need replacing in two years, that you don't need a home charger if you don't have off-street parking, that you can actually recharge them in the rain, it all comes down to cost. They're more expensive than petrol cars. And that's almost right. But remember, we're talking about new cars here. If you're buying a new car, the budget you have will depend where you want to pitch yourself in the car market. There are, for example, literally thousands of models of car that are more expensive than a Renault Zoe or a Nissan Leaf. And there are loads more cars that are more expensive than a Tesla Model 3. But we're living in a time where the new electric Mini is actually cheaper than the Cooper S it's based on. We're living in a world where you can buy a base model Tesla Model 3, good for the best part of 300 miles on a charge and with access to the supercharger network, for less than a flash BMW or Mercedes or Porsche. Also, a large number of new cars in the UK are bought on a lease. If you factor fuel payments and service payments into the cost of your lease, you'll find that EVs can be cheaper to buy. We've told the story before on the podcast of the couple who sold their diesel Qashqai, bought an e-Golf, used the money they spent every month on diesel to completely cover the loan for the e-Golf and charge 40p per mile back to the company for their 1,000 mile per month business mileage. They were making money from their EV purchase. Furthermore, there are people who have solar panels installed in the house and they're using them to power their EV. This is, in actual fact, the equivalent of free petrol. You cannot get much cheaper than that. This is also a great way of reducing any potential exposure to tariffs on electricity that might be levied in future on vehicle charging. Which brings us nicely to our next comment. The government will lose tax revenue. They're bound to start taxing EVs. Yeah, they will. Ultimately, they will make changes to the tax or duty regime to claw back money they'll lose from dwindling fossil fuel sales. But that's to be expected. We currently pay a huge amount of fuel duty on each gallon of petrol or diesel we buy, especially here in the UK. A lot of that goes to subsidising fossil fuel companies, which is a bit strange, but the math needs to be made to work. At this stage, motorists need to resign themselves to the fact that the financial incentive for running an EV will narrow towards that of an internal combustion engine model over time. This could be through removing the VED, the vehicle excise duty, and charging motorists on a cost per mile travelled basis. Or they may decide to add a tariff to every kilowatt hour of electricity you put into your car. Or they may just charge a flat fee according to your battery size. The bigger the battery, the more you're paying. But whatever solution they come up with, it's not something to worry about in the short term. So, What do I need to do? Well, the short answer to this question is nothing. Continue driving exactly as you are at the moment. If the whole concept of cheap motoring in an electric car appeals to you, then look at EVs. There are plenty of back episodes of this podcast that will help you in your search and purchase of an EV. If you're wed to your fossil fuel guzzler and want to stay holding on to that for the foreseeable future, 
have at it. You certainly won't get any sympathy from me when you have to pay a fortune in refueling costs, maintenance and road tax. But it's your choice entirely. But whatever happens, don't try and make some silly excuse about why you don't want to go to an EV by 2035. Before we finish on this topic, I do want to ask a few pertinent questions around this that will need to be dealt with before 2035. What are the challenges to making this rollout a success? What will be the funding model? If the government wants to mandate a specific regulation, it's for them to provide some sort of assistance to make this happen. When they first looked at encouraging EV rollout, they started the Office of Low Emissions Vehicle, OLEV, and they started funding the plug-in car grant for new EVs, as well as paying a grant for the install of chargers. The plug-in car grant is reducing and will at some point disappear completely, and the same may happen for the charge grant. So what else is the government going to do to make this transition easy? The next question is, how are the manufacturers going to cope? There are many, many legacy manufacturers, I'm looking at you, Toyota, who have invested billions in engine technology. They employ thousands of people in dozens of factories, all devoted to producing internal combustion engines. And they will suffer when it comes to meeting the EV demand in the UK if they don't start to plan now. The UK registered 1.7 million diesel and petrol vehicles in the first three quarters of 2019. That's a lot of vehicles that will need to be replaced by EVs. The third question is going to be, where will the batteries come from? I mean, one issue we've seen already with EVs is that a number of legacy manufacturers, Kia and Hyundai as examples, have been constrained because they couldn't source enough batteries to power their vehicles. Companies like Tesla and VW have secured their own battery source and could, if needed, provide the batteries for other manufacturers. But this is a challenge that will need to be overcome. And the last question is, how will we educate the public? I mean, we've talked in earlier episodes about the need for education for EV buyers. In episode three, we talked about mainstream dealers and how they had issues with selling the cars because their salesmen didn't have enough education. And more importantly, they didn't have an incentive to sell the EV version if a car also had a hybrid or plain petrol version. And this has to change. Public education needs to improve. People need to understand the difference between fast charging and rapid charging, for example. They need to understand that the fossil fuel narrative no longer applies. The number and nature of the comments related to the announcement at the end of the fossil fuel cars in the UK is a very clear indication of this. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with uh, you, our listener. And this week, my cool thing is the Falkirk Charging Hub. Scotland is a leader in the UK when it comes to EVs, with free charging until very recently and a great network of chargers throughout the country. With places like Orkney producing more power than they need, the grid has coped really well with everything thrown at it. Dundee has always been held up as a poster child for Scottish EV owners, with several multi-unit charging hubs created in the city and numerous chargers installed in car parks across the whole area. Now, its place has been challenged by Falkirk. After receiving funds from the Scottish Government and the EU, a new state-of-the-art charging hub has been installed near Falkirk Stadium, just outside Edinburgh. It's literally next to the A9, Scotland's main thoroughfare, which goes right the way up to the north coast. The hub will have 26 charging points using renewable energy provided by a solar panel canopy with support from a battery storage facility. The units are going to be four double-headed rapid chargers with 50 kilowatt uh, maximum and six double-headed fast chargers peaking at 22 kilowatt. And this is more than enough to service a nice large chunk of vehicles. 
With the solar panels, it's anticipated that in certain times of the year, the hub will get more energy from the panels than it needs, thus allowing surplus to be stored in the batteries or exported back to the grid. In fact, the figures indicate that with anything other than a high demand for usage, the net solar production should cover all the expected output on average over the year. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I'm the real Gary C on Twitter or use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV. And don't ask why it's that way around. Just don't ask. One day I will tell you, but not today. If you want any quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to owning an electric car. Links for everything I've talked about in the podcast today are in the descriptions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise our visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Before we go, a final thought to leave with you. If you like the fossil fuel car you have, but are also curious about electric driving, why not look at converting your current car to electric? There are lots of places to do that, and it's not that expensive. Thanks for listening. Bye.